remember seeing her for the first time and I was just like, oh my God, that's what I'm going to look like in 20 years. We get so hung up on that one generation, maybe two generations that failed us as babies, as children. But there were so many generations before that that still make up who we are. To not ever have had a sibling, to instantly grow sibling love was just this surreal thing that I remember feeling in my body. Heather was adopted at two years old by her mother's boss and his wife. Once she knew that, she always kind of wondered why, and her adoptive father said that he would help her if she ever wanted to search for her birth mother. At the age of 16, she found her birth mother's address, but it took a few more years before she was comfortable to start searching for her online. When she did finally meet her birth mother, they had a good relationship for a while. When she asked her birth mother about her birth father, she was reluctant to give her any information, and the relationship became very difficult. Throughout the years, she has been able to have great relationships with members of her birth mother's family, and once she was able to find out who her birth father was, she's been able to connect with them and have great relationships with them as well. One thing that Heather feels really helped her was building family trees for each of her birth families. This is a gift that she would also like to give to other adoptees to help them work through their reunions. Here is my interview with Heather. At what age were you adopted and where were you adopted from? I was adopted when I was two years old in New Jersey, northern Jersey, uh, in a private adoption. Do you know anything about your life before you were adopted? I do know actually a lot about my life before I was adopted. I was a part of a family. I had grandparents and aunts and uncles, and I was born to a young mom who partied and, you know, struggled with addictions and traumas and spent a little bit of time in foster care due to her negligence. And then when I got out of foster care, she took me back to California to see family and within a couple of months of that, of, get, of taking me out of foster care with her sister, brought me back to New Jersey. And within, I think, six weeks of taking me back to New Jersey, relinquished me. Was anybody in your family interested in adopting you? They would have had she told them that she didn't want to parent me. She kept it secret for a long time. There was like a couple of months where family, because my family lived in two different places. My mother and I had lived in New Jersey. The rest of the family moved out to California a couple of years before. So they would call and talk to me and, and I would talk on the phone with my aunt, who I'm very close with, and she would call me often and it got to a point after I returned back home from California that she would call and there was always oh she's taking a nap or she's in Florida visiting her then boyfriend's parents or there was just always a reason that I couldn't come to the phone and eventually a couple of months later she told them that she had given me to her boss and his wife yeah did you grow up in New Jersey I did. Yeah. Okay. And do you remember how you found out you were adopted or was it something that you always knew? I feel like it was something I always knew. I don't remember like the exact moment. My mother will tell me that my neighbors that I played with all the time, that one of them said 
something about being adopted to me. And I was like, I don't know what that is. Maybe about six or seven years old. And I ran home, was like, yo, mom, what's adoption? And she was like, oh, okay, well, it's this, 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 you're adopted, blah, 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 blah. And I went out and played. I don't have any real like memory of that. Just what my mother, my mother's recollection. Pretty much always known. So were you raised as an only child? I was raised as an only child, yes. My parents were infertile, so I was an only child. Yep, I was a very spoiled little girl. (laughs) (laughs) So then what made you want to find your birth family? And was there anything they could tell you about your birth mother from your adoptive parents? So my birth mother worked for my adoptive father. My adoptive father owned a lounge up in New Jersey, and my birth mother was a barmaid. And I believe that she worked there with him before I was in foster care. Like, I think she worked there for a while. So he had heard the stories all along of me and knew that that she was struggling. And so when I was, I feel like an early teen, my father said to me at some point, if you ever want to find your mother, I'll help you look. I always kind of knew her name. I don't remember at what point I learned her name, but I always knew what her name was. I had always been told the story that she was a young mom. She struggled and couldn't be a mother. So that was why she gave me up. So I always knew that she existed. We never spoke about a father. That was, wasn't something that came up. My adoptive father did tell me, I'll help you look for your birth mother when you want to, but we're not going to talk to your mother about it, my adoptive mother, because he said he didn't want to hurt her. So it was always this like thing between him and I that I knew that if at any point I wanted to find her, I could. When I was about 16, I was as most 16-year-olds do, snooping through my parents' end tables. And I came across a folded-up piece of yellow paper that said the first name, at least, I recognized and I assumed was my biological mother and her address in Tucson, Arizona. So I kind of like always knew that this person existed, but my impression of her was one that she struggled, she had a hard time, she had a rough life. So I always kind of knew she existed. When classmates.com first came out, when I was, you know, what's this, 18 years old. I remember finding her on classmates.com. So she was this real person that existed in my imagination. I didn't know anything about her, but I knew she existed. Was there like a picture on classmates.com or was it just? No, not at all. Not at the time. I think on classmates, a couple of years later, they may have like uploaded all yearbook photos or something. Because I do remember seeing a yearbook photo of her. It was like a sports photo, you know, so it was like a group of people. And I remember seeing that image somewhere on the internet. So I think probably by like, maybe like 18, 19, maybe even 20, I had seen this blurry black and white yearbook photo of her. I guess, Hmm. the year before she got pregnant. So how did you find her? Were you just using the address and trying to reach out to her that way? Yeah, so, well, I I went back onto classmates.com when I was 21, and I remember the moment. I can visualize the moment. I'm sitting at the computer. My then-boyfriend was in the bathroom, and I go back to the website, and now, you know, the Internet is advancing, so she was able to fill out a profile on her classmates page and did and you know it was said where are you working and what are your jobs and where do you live and what school did you go to and and then it got to the part where it said kids and I read in 1977 I gave birth to a beautiful baby girl as far as I know she is living well and I would love to hear from her and in that moment I immediately shouted to my man in the bathroom and I was like oh my god this is me and so through classmates.com I contacted her through it because you could like reach out to the person 
and she emailed me back that probably like that next day and I remember the first couple of months we just went back and forth emailing 15 times a day talking reuniting so what was it like the first time you spoke with her on the phone (sighs) the entire experience was surreal and it was it was entirely surreal the first time we spoke on the phone we giggled about how much we sounded like each other Hmm. how and I just remember it felt at the time like it was the greatest moment of my life like it felt like some questions were answered and you know the mystery that had surrounded me for the previous two decades you know kind of felt like wow, here she is and she likes me and she wants to talk to me and she's thought about me. You know, all those things that I think adoptees get so caught up in throughout their years, you know, whether they realize they're having these questions or not, you know, but it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. While it was amazing. (laughs) Did she have any other children before or after you? She never had any more children. My aunt will tell me, my mother's sister tells me a story that my mother was pregnant when I was an infant, but I had German measles. So she went to Planned Parenthood and had to end the pregnancy because she wouldn't have been able to mother me because, you know, uh, pregnant women can't go around people with German measles, apparently. So, So I was an only child on my maternal side. And did you actually get to meet her in person? And how long after you guys started talking did you meet in person? So we started talking in December of 2001, and I met her in like May, June in 2002. So just because of schedules, I think we just, and, you know, perhaps a lot of fear. I was in school at the time too. So we just waited a couple of months before we got together. And I went to her home in, and she was living at the time in Annapolis, Maryland, which was only about two hours south of where I was living. So drove down and stayed with her and her one of her husbands for the weekend so what were you feeling like when you were leading up to the meeting I mean that's not a short drive but it's enough time to be uh, thinking and becoming very nervous and panicking yeah Yeah. very much (laughs) I remember I do remember like the that like as we were driving down the closer we would get you know the stomach ache that comes with the fear you know it's just like I was petrified I remember thinking like because we had exchanged photos by this point and I remember thinking and speaking that I'd never met anybody that I looked like before and I think that was like the most surreal thing was to you know step out of the car and she steps out of her home and I see her for the first time I remember seeing her for the first time and I was just like oh my god that's what I'm gonna look like in 20 years you know it was just like this surreal moment the nerves though were you know is she gonna like me you know, is she going to be mad at me for reaching out to her? Like all these like mixed emotions, like really just seeking approval, I think, uh, from her in that situation. Yeah, just like some kind of confirmation that it was just going to be okay. Right, right. And and for the moment, it absolutely was like it, it was, it was probably the, you know, six months of pure bliss. So was she able to tell you who your birth father was? So the weekend that I visited Annapolis, I have this memory in my mind of us waiting outside of the bathrooms for our respective partners and we're sitting on a bench and somehow the topic of my father comes up and she says, you know, I slept with a lot of guys that summer, so I don't know who your father is. I don't know which one it is, you know? So I thought to myself, well, dang, just like give me some names. Make a list. Give me some. (laughs) And 
she was reluctant to give me any names. She said to me at one point, and this is, you know, there's like these like moments that just like stand out in my mind that have kind of like formed my opinion of her now as like an adult. And she said, well, you know, I don't want you to drop a bomb on someone. And that was the moment that it was like, from then on, she just refused to give me any more information about my paternal side. And over the course of six or eight months that we were communicating, I just uh, started to develop a lot of anger for her. I think a lot of the emotions that I didn't know I was allowed to even have or didn't recognize that they were from this, you know, abandonment trauma, I just suddenly, you know, I was angry. I was very mad. I was very mad at her. And the fact that she wouldn't tell me who my father was made me feel, again, another loss of control. And I hated her. And so about probably maybe a year, year and a half after we reunited, things got very ugly between us. I was incredibly mad and voiced it to her often. And subsequently, like, because she didn't tell me who my father was, that was kind of the the thing that drove us apart. And we became estranged about four or five years after we reunited. It just became a very toxic relationship. And I only saw her that one time, except for the other time where she stopped by the bar that I worked at. I turned around at the bar and she was sitting there mm. at the bar. And I was like, oh my God, what are you doing here? I didn't want you to come here. Um, so the father thing was always a big point of contention between us. It seems like a lot of birth mothers are very reluctant to disclose who the father is. And like, I wonder why that is. Like, do they want you all to themselves? You know, I think it's a little bit of what you said that they do want you to themselves. But I think I actually have put a lot of thought into this because I think we don't think enough about birth mothers and what their experience is. And, you know, uh, as a mother, you know, the idea of feeling so helpless that you make the decision to give your child away that's got to come with a lot of shame you know and a lot of disappointment in yourself you know as women we are the ones who make the humans so it's instinctive for us to want to be with our children but to not perhaps have that feeling inside or feel like you're not capable of being a mother despite us being completely designed to do that I think a lot of shame comes with it and I think that admitting you know, you go back to that moment of conception when you think about, like, who is this child's father? I think you go right back to that moment of conception. And whether it was you shouldn't have been where you were or you were partying and you made a mistake or, you know, all the different things that come with these stigmas that we put on women, then you have this child that you can't keep. So I just think it's like this, I think it's so shame-filled. And I think there is a bit of jealousy, perhaps, that comes with when the child then connects with their paternal side. You know, I belong to a lot of different pages of adoptees and I see the story time and time again of everything was great with my mom and I and then I met my birth father and everything changed and it just becomes almost like this this gatekeeping it seems like you know maybe their stories change about your conception or you know just stories change once fathers come into the pictures and I think it just has to do with shame you know the mom's just feeling unsupported and having to make this decision to you know give their child up in my opinion. Yeah, it's kind of like they they were alone in the whole thing. They carried the baby and then they had to make that choice without any support from the father, whether or not he even knew, you know, they still did it on their own. So they kind of feel like it was their experience. 
Very much. And especially in my case, I found out many years later about the night that I was conceived and it was it was a one night stand. They never saw each other again. So here is this, you know, young teenager who is left pregnant with a baby that they may or may not have wanted. And the man in this situation, you know, kind of gets off scot-free, at least so it seems, you know, and that's the perception that my birth mother have was, well, I'm not going to tell this guy. I don't even know where to find him. Like, you know, do I, like, she knew his name, but I found out subsequently years, 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 years later. But like, there's another layer of that shame. Like, how do I call up this guy that I don't really know and tell him that I have a child with him? You know, it's traumatic. All of it is traumatic, you know, and I think that there is like some gatekeeping. We make the babies like that's our that's our person. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So how did you eventually find him? The power of DNA. My mother and I, like I said, we we were estranged for probably about 15 years. In that 15 years, I thought I, you know, healed from the trauma of adoption and felt brave enough to reach out, reach back out to my birth aunt, who I was very close with, who had messaged me on Facebook probably five years prior and finally clicked on the link and it, and it notified her that I opened up the message. So she wrote back and she's like, oh my God, you got the message. You're alive. Yada, yada, yada. So we reunite. I reunited with my maternal family thought that, you know, I'm cool. I can see my mom. I can hang out with her. I'm healed from all of this. So made plans that year when I reunited with my aunt to go out to Arizona where they were living again and reunite with my entire maternal family. So I go out, I meet my maternal family. It is the greatest, most amazing moments of my life, meeting my cousins who are my peers and around my age. And they grew up knowing about me thinking of me as sister. So, you know, it was amazing. I saw my uncles that I had been with when I was, you know, two years old. They tell me stories like who I was as a baby and what kind of a kid I was. I meet my grandparents who were my grandparents. Like I have a Sears photo of me in like this family (laughs) photo, you know? So, (laughs) um, so I meet all these people. It's amazing. Everything happens, but still my, my birth mother will not tell me who my birth father is. So a couple of months after I return home from Arizona and have this amazing whirlwind experience, I feel like my life is coming together. My aunt calls me up and says, hey, Ancestry is having a sale on their DNA tests. Me and Kevin, her then husband, we're going to do this test and maybe you and your husband should do it too. I'm like, you know what? You're right. I've always wondered what ethnicity I was. Never even popped into my head that I might be able to get more information about my genetics. I really was like, I was raised in an Italian family. I'd love to know if I was Italian. And that was pretty much my reasoning for doing it. So I got the results back when my aunt called me up and was like, hey, I have a new ancestry match. And it was me. So (laughs) texting live with her as I'm opening up the page. And I see her and I'm like, oh my gosh, auntie, there you are. There's your name. And right below her name is another name who, another female name. And it is marked as someone who's like aunt, close cousin, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm reading this to her and I send her a picture and I was like, oh, what's, what's this last name? Is this the last name that you guys always thought? was the last name of my father because that name had been like bounced around in my family for years, but nobody could remember what it was in my maternal family, but nobody could remember what the name was. And my birth mother wasn't saying again. So I go on Facebook 
and type in the name, obviously, as anybody would. And this name pops up and I read it to my aunt and this person who I matched with, her maiden name was her middle name on Facebook. And as soon as I said it to my aunt, she's like, that's him. That's the last name. That's the last name of who my mother thought my father was, but could never confirm. So in that moment, like I figured out who it was and immediately went into Facebook deep dives and was like seeing pictures of like who it might be and who are these young women with him? Is that a sister? Is that his wife? Just did a deep dive. And then literally coincidentally about two hours after I found out all this information, I had a previously scheduled counseling appointment, just a coincidence that that was the day that it was going to be. So two hours later, I'm sitting in the therapist's office, just like freaking out, like, Oh my God, I know who my dad is. And this poor woman's just meeting me to work with me through adoption trauma. And I was like, just having uh, figured out who my father was. So yeah, figured it out through ancestry. Yeah. There's no more, there's no more secrets. You can't like keep secrets anymore. (laughs) No way. All those secrets are open now. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Even getting people from beyond the grave. There's people that are getting in trouble. Yep. (laughs) A lot of secrets that are being told. So were you able to get in contact with him pretty easily? So I was, I was able to learn a lot about him, obviously through the internet. I knew about what he did for work because there was a picture of him that popped up of him at a rally in Washington, D.C. And he's holding up a sign because he was a a leader in the union for grocery workers and he was fighting for health care for them. So like, as soon as I saw that picture, I immediately was like, that's, that's my dad. Like, that's my dude. That's, those are my people. I finally, like, I literally like just this one little image of seeing him fighting for those who can't necessarily fight for themselves. Like I was like, that's my person. So I found his address on the internet and I'm working on it now as a grown woman, but I was incredibly impulsive. And I was like, I'm going to write this letter and I'm going to send him this letter. And I did. And the day that he got the letter, he called me that night and left a voicemail because I wasn't picking up the phone because I was freaking out when I saw (laughs) like his area code come up on my phone. (laughs) So I listened to his message and we had a conversation, a half hour conversation that night. Was he really shocked to find out that you were out there? He had no idea that I existed. Just backtrack a quick second. That same day that I found out who it was, I texted my birth mother. We, we were not, you know, things were not great between us. I thought that I, you know, had quote healed from my trauma, but I learned later that I hadn't even scratched the surface, but I texted her the name, the last name. And I said, here's this last name that came up. And she said, okay, this is his first name. So it just became like immediately in that moment when she acknowledged and confirmed him, who he was, I kind of felt like I had a little bit of control back. Like I, I was like, here was this person that was holding this information from me she didn't think that I deserved to know who my father was she didn't think that he deserved to know that he had a daughter and now I didn't need her anymore so it was like this it made me feel so independent from her that I had never felt before you know for 40 years at that point I had felt completely under her thumb my life was controlled by the decisions that she made for herself so now here I am I have this information she confirmed who it was and We had a conversation right away. Did he live close to you at the time? And were you able to meet up with him? Uh, Yeah, he did. He he actually lives an hour and a half away Mm -hmm. in New Jersey. And he was shocked, obviously, to learn that he had a daughter. He had other children, but they were about 20 years younger than me. 
so here I am, I have siblings and they're in their twenties and I meet this man and, you know, he's about 20 years older than me. And immediately they were like, let's make plans for this weekend. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. (laughs) And then reality kind of like, then your emotional body is like, hold on a second. You just met this person. Here's all the emotions that come with solving the mysteries of your life. You know, so it was like a deluge of emotion and stuff that your body you know is in there all the time but you don't even know that it's happening and so I cried a lot I cried a lot in those couple of days after finding him because you know I had lost my adoptive father about 15 years before or 20 years before so I hadn't had father in 20 years I had to make things right in my mind between my deceased adoptive father and now this other person who I like hadn't really put too much thought into before and uh, bringing them into my life, you know, so there was a lot of stuff that I had to do. But I within a couple of weeks of talking to him on the phone, I think the next week we met for a meal, like right in the middle of where we live between where we both live, because they wanted to like bring me into the family. He immediately called my siblings, he called his sisters, he called his father, like, I was immediately a part of their family, which was beautiful. You know, it's like my own personal hallmark moment. (laughs) And I look like my sister and for the first time like I look like my grandfather and my grandmother and like just all these connections to like who made me we met up and then uh, a couple of days later once I started to feel like safer in the whole situation they hosted a party for me to meet all of my aunts and my cousins and my grandfather and my siblings and stuff. It seems like a lot of families, they're very quick to have like a family reunion. And it's like so overwhelming for the adoptee. I mean, it's great, but it seems like that's like a go-to like right away, you know, like everybody has these like reunion. Yeah, yeah, it's very much, right? And it's like coincidentally, it just happened to be the Sunday they were like, we're having a barbecue on this Sunday. You should come. We're going to bring the whole family there. And it was thought it happened to be Father's Day. And so like, I think for them, they're like, oh my God, it's Father's Day. She should come and meet her father and her family and like be a part of things. And it was just like in their minds, this poetic thing. And here's me just like, oh my God, I want you to love me. So I'm going to agree to everything. But then my body was like, no, pump the brakes. This is going too fast. So like within a day of them planning the first barbecue, I had to call them up and say, you know what? I'm not ready for this. I need to pump the brakes a little bit. And and I did. And that's when we had that dinner to kind of like, let me meet you first to like vibe with you. And then once family members started reaching out through Facebook or then I was like, okay, now we can meet. And that was another surreal moment. Because again, it was like, well, first meeting peers that I think that are around your age, like your age group, whether it's cousins or siblings, that that was like incredibly powerful to me because not only do I look like them, but those are the people that you are going to grow old with, you hope, right? If like the reunion works out and everything is like hallmark and stays that way. But those are also the people that you would have been raised with. You know, I was so excited to have solved the mysteries that have been swirling in my mind for four decades. But then also you have to face those moments of where do you fit? That feeling comes in, I think, pretty quickly after reunion, at least in my experience and other adoptees that I've spoken to. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's the whole thing of like, yes, these are the people around your age and these are the people that, you know, will be around when you're older. But at the same point, you're like, well, I didn't grow up with them. So how do I connect with them at this point? It's very difficult. Confusing. Yes, it is very difficult. It's super confusing. I think a lot of adoptees, I will say in my observation, a lot of adoptees 
always kind of have that nagging feeling of not fitting in. There are many that do feel like adoption hasn't impacted them at all. I wasn't one of those. I kind of always felt like the black sheep in my family. When I got old enough, I got tattoos and I was like the badass of the group. And like, here are my other cousins going to like Dartmouth and Yale. And I'm like over here, like at the tattoo shop. So, you know, I always had this sense of not belonging. And then you think, oh, I'm going to meet my tribe and everything is going to be fixed because now I'm with my people. But then there's these moments after I visited my maternal family in Tucson very quickly after it was Thanksgiving and they sent me a family picture of all of them sitting at a table for Thanksgiving and it was just this glaring moment for me that was like man like I don't I don't know what that tradition is I don't know what that feels like to sit at that table with them what are they doing that they've done every single year you know and then the inside jokes come in and the oh remember when this happened and you know it just becomes really super obvious and I experienced the same thing with my paternal side it just becomes so obvious when if you get the chance to visit the home and you see pictures and oh well, this was grandma's vase and like you know you don't even know the story of where that vase might have come from and so you know there's just a second layer of isolation that I think comes in not an isolation enough to make me not want to explore but just a reality that like you know what this might be just kind of like the station in life and this is the thing that we have to live with yeah you know yeah because of someone else's uh, decisions And it's weird because it's like, then it's like, what do you do? Do you expect gifts at Christmas or like, do you not expect anything? You know, how much do you fit? Exactly. How much to expect, really? Right. You know, I think the expectation that comes from reunion itself is its own thing. You know, I gained two whole families. You know, you have your adoptive family and then I had my spouse's family. And now I've gained two more sets of full family with like cousins and uncles and aunts and like all these people. And then you have to fit them all in to this life that, you know, you had been living before and maybe you didn't even have time for the people who were in your life for its entirety you know like my cousins and I don't speak as often as as we used to or as much as I would like and so now but now I have other cousins that I have to pull into the mix and then I have siblings that I have to pull into the mix you know you know it comes with a bit of overwhelm because you want to belong to all these things so you're not gonna you know an adoptee is not gonna like refuse the affection from their biological family if it's if it's healthy love that they're giving you know because you want to belong to that too like sometimes my dad will text and be like oh man I didn't I haven't hit him up in a week or like my cousins will reach out through text and I'm like oh crap I haven't it just didn't pop into my head to think of them to send them a message you know so it's like this moment of just like you expect to be welcomed right in and to feel really comfortable in it but the reality kind of still for me has been that I can't quite catch up with all the socializing that it requires to be family you know (laughs) yeah 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 it's like those relationships start out kind of fragile because they need attention and need to be fostered But at the same point, it's a lot to keep up with. It is a lot to keep up with. And then you eventually find like, you know, once the honeymoon period is over, which every relationship and reunion on this planet goes through, like that phase of just like the newness kind of wears off. Everybody's settling back into their life. They're incorporated into your life. And then it's like, well, maybe they're not reaching out as much for a reason. You know, maybe I'm not really a part of things like I think that I could be, should be want to be they've told me that I am and there comes this other reckoning with yourself of just do they still want me do they really want me you know so a lot of layers (laughs) yeah yeah it's like do they not like what I posted on Facebook was there something I said the last time I saw them that made them uncomfortable then you get like in your own head about why aren't they reaching out to me very much and you're like gaslighting yourself like once I discovered all my family and 
reunited with everybody, I started finding coming out of the fog was a, a real thing that happens. And for me, it led me to want to advocate for other adoptees. So here I am now. My truth now is like sometimes unpopular opinions about adoption and what adoption looks like for adoptees, you know, and I'm putting this information out there and I start to wonder like, well, what are they going to think about it? You know, like, are they going to be mad about that I'm putting this out there? Are they like, you know, so you're like the reunion put me into this other place of advocacy with other adoptees, but you still have to hope that the other people will accept you for the new you that you become after you've been in reunion so there's there's a lot of it's a lot of work to go to accept other people into your life and to be willing to search for your tribe it takes yeah. a lot of work emotional work a lot of emotional work how long has it been and do you feel like the relationships have evolved in any positive or negative ways well it was uh, 2017 when i reconnected with my maternal family and for everyone, except for my mother, the relationships are amazing. When I left Tucson, my birth aunt started a group chat with my two cousins, the four of us, and my, my husband is on there as well. So there is just this pipeline of conversation that happens between us. So I feel very connected. We send each other pictures of our children. Ironically, my two cousins who I hold so dear to my heart. All of us have children that were born in early January, like within two days of one another. So like there's this great unity and bonding there. My mother and I, my biological mother and I have been estranged for, we haven't spoken in over a year, maybe two years. There's just been angry conversations, short conversations back and forth for the past couple of years. But we are estranged and I have for right now closed the door to any opportunity for reunion. I don't see it as something it's necessary in my life. I feel like I've gotten the rest of the family that I had always desired for her to give me information about. And now that I have them, I don't want to include a, a toxic person into my life, yeah. which is unfortunate. And I'm still reckoning with that, not desiring my birth mother in my life. And my paternal family is wonderful. There was some hiccups in the very beginning that, you know, that I have to had to work through and that I'm still working through when it comes to just my mother's recollection of things. And, but my sister and I are so incredibly close to not ever have had a sibling to instantly grow sibling love was just this surreal thing that I remember feeling in my body. And so she and I are incredibly close. My brother and I are close. He lives across the country, so I don't get to see him or speak to him as much as I would like to. But, you know, we send very meaningful messages back to one another. And there is like deep, pure sibling love, or at least what I perceive it to be, you know, because I didn't grow up with it. So now I'm, yeah. you know, creating it. It has been wonderful getting to have them in my life. So I know you're into genealogy like I am. Have you made mm -hmm. trees for your birth families? And do you feel like it was like kind of therapeutic once you knew who your birth families were to make those trees? Oh, absolutely. So yes, I was totally into genealogy. As soon as I found out what my father's name was, I was building the tree. I was adding his side because I'd already had my maternal side built. So, you know, it just made me feel so rooted. I think that's what genealogy did for me. As an adoptee, you grow up knowing these aren't your necessarily your tribe mates. These aren't the traditions that your blood, your body, your skin, like everything desires to be, you know, from the land that it's from and with the people that it's supposed to. And building this tree has allowed me the opportunity to look beyond what my the choice that my birth mother made for me, even the choice that my birth grandparents made for me, incidentally. And 
I got deep roots. You know, I have really super deep roots in this country. I have really super deep roots in New Jersey. And I've traveled New England and New Jersey to go to cemeteries, to walk the land that my people walked and to just to make those connections. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like this blessing and a curse because as an adoptee, not having had that, you look at the average person who's raised with their tribe and they don't know how good it is to have that tribal information, you know? So here I am middle age now learning all this information. And it's like this, it's this huge gift to see that, like, sure, my mother may have made this choice, my grandparents made their choice, but the generations and generations and generations before them, I have their DNA in me as well, and I look like them, and I have their traits. And it has been incredibly therapeutic to just be able to humanize my mother and realize that she is fallible, but I have really deep roots have super deep roots right here where I stand, like in this area of of this country, I have really deep roots. And I have found it incredibly therapeutic to go and do research on my ancestors. And, you know, I'm lucky enough that I can do that. Most of my family is English. It came from England. So there's tons of records. But for me, it has been wildly therapeutic. And I hope to give that to other adoptees because I think well, I know we get so hung up on that one generation, maybe two generations that failed us as babies, as children. But there were so many generations before that that still make up who we are. And to know who they are and to be able to walk their land, that just like brought connection back for me. Yeah, that's awesome. I did a similar thing. I went to Williamsburg to check out some of the places that my dad's mother's family lived you just get like a feeling when you're there it just feels like I wouldn't say it feels like home but it feels like a familiar place absolutely well is it not like on some in some level it is home right like when I drive over the bridge going back into New Jersey I have always kind of felt that feeling because I just love being from New Jersey and I have always felt very proud of being from New Jersey and I loved the land that I lived on in my adoptive family like I loved it and then to find out that I have these incredibly deep roots in Jersey did not surprise me at all because that feeling was very palpable in me and to this day when I cross that bridge into Jersey I immediately feel home you know it really is like and I haven't lived there in you know 25 years but it immediately feels like coming back to it's a coming it's a coming back it's a it's a it's coming home So what would you tell other people who are thinking about looking for their birth parents and they might be kind of nervous or scared? Well, the first thing that I would encourage them to do is find your group, find other adoptees who have gone through this. I had that same therapist that I was seeing the day that I found out who my birth father was. She recommended to me very nonchalant, hey, well, you know, why don't you go find an adoptee support page on social media? And I was just like, what? It was like just this simple thing that I'd never considered doing. And immediately when I did that, just reading, I think I stumbled upon a page that asked the question, how does it feel to be adopted? And there was literally a list of responses. And as I sat at my kitchen counter reading that list, weeping uncontrollably because holy moly, those are the feelings that I felt that caused me to feel like I was broken throughout my entire life. But here it is just symptomatic of the trauma of adoption and trauma of relinquishment. You know, finding your people is, you know, no one on this planet will know what it's like to be an adoptee except for adoptees. So I would say the first thing is first is find your network. Adoptees have been the most supportive, kindest people that I have ever met or had the pleasure of, you know, talking with on social media in my life. So I think finding your people 
that can support you is is number one because they will catch you and they can relate to what your experience is every single moment of it they can relate and I would say find if you can as a backup a therapist who knows about adoption adoption trained therapist as a backup because biologically things happen to us with maternal relinquishment and you might need some help some support in some things to understand why your brain was wired the way that it was we're not broken we weren't given away because anything was wrong with us and our brain needs sometimes some support to help rewiring it back to the way that it would have been had we not dealt with that primal wound of maternal relinquishment and I say 100% to all of my friends that I have who are adopted, who haven't searched for their families yet. I say it's the hardest thing ever and the greatest gift. And I think it's entirely necessary for us to, even if you don't have a good reunion and you don't get what you necessarily thought you wanted out of it, the work that you do in finding the people and the emotional stuff that comes with it is the work that needs to be done regardless. So at least you know, maybe end the mystery if you can, because then once the mystery has been solved of who these people might be, whether they accept you in or not, there is that part of healing can begin. You have all of the answers and then you can start to to heal. And maybe you get lucky and you have a completely hallmark relationship with your family and with your biological family and everything goes very well. But either way, I think it's entirely worth it to it for yourself. You're, we're not secrets. We are not things that need to be hidden. We are real humans with, that have real unacknowledged trauma. Maternal abandonment is trauma. And arguably the only trauma that exists that isn't even recognized as trauma. So finding your people is vital. Yeah, that's very good advice. Definitely to have some support and especially people that have gone through it before. Absolutely. Um, vital I would argue well thank you so much for letting me interview you thank you so much for interviewing me this is really wonderful you or someone in your family has been touched by adoption and would like to speak about it, please email me at whathappensafterpodcast at gmail.com. Also, please check out the Instagram for the show to see pictures of my guests that they were so kind to share from the reunions. Next time, I'll talk with Laura, who was adopted through the Easter House Agency in Chicago, Illinois. Easter House was known to market children in specific ways that may or may not be true, in order to entice prospective adoptive parents. And this is exactly what happened to Laura. Listen next time to find out what happens after. Thanks for listening.